This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Who were the sons of God in the book of Genesis, and what did they do? The elusive text of Genesis 6, 1-4, with its references to sons of God, daughters of men, and giants, has perplexed interpreters for ages. In his book, The Sons of God in Genesis 6, 1-4, Yap Dudens offers a comprehensive history and analysis of the various proposals for understanding the sons of God episode. He also evaluates the expression sons of God within its ancient Near Eastern context, and sets forth his own understanding of the message and function of Genesis 6, 1-4. Join us as we talk with Yap Dudens about this fascinating, albeit difficult, text, Genesis 6 and the Sons of God. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Yap Dudens is College Associate Professor at Papa Reformed Theological Seminary in Hungary. He's published articles on the Old Testament, the Intertestamental Period, and the New Testament in English, Dutch, and Hungarian. Yap, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Thank you very much. As we begin, let me read for us the text of Genesis 6, 1-4 for the sake of our discussion. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. It is days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Yeah, what first interested you in this enigmatic passage? Well, probably just that, the fact that it's a very enigmatic passage. Um, I did my uh, my master's thesis on um, on the, the first chapter of Genesis, so I was looking for for studying that further. But but then uh, I was thinking that well, I should do some some or have some variation as well, and um, and then. Um, of course, I didn't stumble on that passage because I knew it. Uh, but I was thinking, well, um, it, it's probably one of the most difficult passages of the of the Old Testament. Maybe not in in explaining the the grammatical side of it, but but uh, as to content, it's one of the the most difficult, uh, small, uh, very small passages, uh, and a very compact story as well, or a very compact narrative as well. Um, so that was that was more a kind of challenge, I think, to uh, to say that. Well, then let's take the, the most difficult thing. Now, tell us a little bit more about yourself. 
Uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm Dutch, so I'm I'm born in the Netherlands. But now, uh, at the moment, presently, I'm uh, I'm an associate professor at the uh, Papa Reformed Theological Seminary in Papa, Hungary. Would you offer us a brief summary on the main approaches to understanding the sons of God in Genesis six? Well, the um, the as to the to the explanation or the interpretation of the text. When the, I think that the, the expression "sons of God" is, of course, the most basic problem. That if you solve that, then most of the pieces of the of the puzzle uh, find their place. Um, and uh, when we when we have a look at the at the history of exegesis, then uh, the the main lines of exegesis are that um, there are two two main. Uh, solutions that these sons of God of the sons of God are are um, superhuman so uh, beings uh, or they are humans human beings uh, and that can be split up in in two or so in the end four lines of exegesis um, that's um, if you take the the uh, superhuman side then it is um, it is about angels uh, or about more generally divine beings or heavenly beings and uh, if you say it's uh, they are they are in some way or another they are human beings or the text is, is telling us something about uh, an, a narrative of, about human beings then they uh, are viewed um, during the history of exegesis as uh, either um, judges or or mighty mighty uh, persons uh, rulers uh, or uh, as um, as the sons of uh, of Seth, the the son of Adam and Eve, and that means that they are seen as um, as the, the pious people who who uh, are the followers of God. So that that are these are the the, the main lines of exegesis uh, when we have a look at the text. Let's turn first to the sons of God as angels interpretation or the heavenly category, as you put it. What's the history of this understanding? Well, the, the ancient so-called, or what I call the angels' interpretation, is is the the oldest interpretation um, that we find in the in the uh, in the history of exegesis, um, and of course um, uh, the the it, it was it, it came into existence by by comparison with other texts in the Old Testament. Where, um, for example, most most uh, um, clearly in the in the beginning of the, the prologue of the book of Job, um, where they they easily can be be seen because the, the same term is used as sons of God, um, who appeared before God, and then they were talking about, and among them was also Satan, um, uh, and then. Uh, this became the the model, or they, they easily could be explained as as uh, as being angels, and then they said that okay, the the text in Genesis uh, six one through four is is also about angels. Um, so this is the 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 oldest exegesis we find in in uh, both in Jewish um, and in and in, in Christian exegesis. Tell us about some of the strengths and weaknesses of this heavenly category. Well, the the strength of the heavenly category is of course. Um, the, the fact that that uh, when we compare the the, the expression "sons of God" in Hebrew um, to to the other texts in which similar uh, or the same expression occurs, uh, and there are some some texts, um, so we are not not um, only looking to Genesis Genesis six, um, then we see that that uh, 
it, it appears to be all, all of them are, are about heavenly beings or let's say angels. So that is the, that's the strength of this, uh, this exegesis that it puts the, the sons of gods into the, the, the heavenly realm. Um, so that would be the main main argument argument and the main strength of the of the hypothesis. Uh, perhaps the, the the weaker point is that that when we, we use the term angels uh, in Hebrew, they are really the attendants of God or the the messengers of of God who who are sent out and they have a special task um, and they seem to act uh, really out of order uh, within this chapter. Uh, by going to earth to having having uh, a sexual relationship with with uh, women um, and children giant children are born and uh, well that's a very strange story um, how we wouldn't expect that from angels so that is one of the weaknesses and probably also the the reason why um, uh, in the in the course of the history of exegesis um, both in, in in Jewish and in Christian circles um, the the exegetes uh, just just left this this uh, explanation behind. Um, well, perhaps also as a kind of demythologization of the whole whole story. Another popular interpretation is that the sons of God refers to the line of Seth, or what you refer to as the religious category. What's the pedigree for this understanding? Um, the the this is also a very very ancient uh, uh, interpretation. Uh, when we we see the sons of Seth, uh, the sons of God as the sons of Seth, uh, this this whole interpretation hinge on the hinges on the on the interpretation of Genesis 4:26, uh, uh, especially in the in the Septuagint uh, version. Uh, in in Greek, it can be read as and, and it's about uh, Enos, Enos, the the son of Seth, and then the, the uh, in Greek you can read uh, the verb what is used there. Um, so um, the, the text is he hoped to invoke or to be called with the name of the Lord God, um, meaning that um, if you read what is in the most translations, I think from the Hebrew that they in those days they they began to invoke the name of of the Lord. Um, that 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 is clear. But um, if you say that he hoped to uh, be called. Uh, by the name or with the name, or he hoped to be called God or Lord, um, then they say that, yeah, okay, so if uh, if Enosh, the, the son of uh, Seth, was uh, called God, or could be called God, then um, uh, then his sons or his children or his children or his descendants um, also can be called sons of Enosh, being sons of God. Um, so and this is then in this way and it was explained in a, in a very um um very much in a way that these these people were the were the pious people who who in a in a world full of sin uh, were still living very close to paradise and they were seduced by the daughters of Cain uh, who who seduced them and they went down they came out of the, their closeness to paradise and they lost their their destination, let's say that. Um, so that's the that's the the um, that's the core of the the set, Satites uh, exegesis. Yeah, what do you consider to be this view's strengths and weaknesses? Uh, I do not see so much strength in that, uh, even if it has been very popular. I think in um, at least I knew this 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 interpretation from my youth. I think um, in in Reformed churches, it was one of the 
I don't know, accepted, but it was one of the explanations that that's, that you, you could hear. Um, uh, and then, of course, there was the, the, everybody could refer to the, the texts that uh, call the Israelites um, um, children of God or sons of God. But then uh, there, is a, there is a problem that all the Israelites were called children of God. Um, so meaning that there were males and females uh, among those children, of course. And uh, uh, here in this case, uh, it, it, it's only about males. Um, uh, because the other side is the daughters of man. Um, and also when the Old Testament talks about God's children or Israel as God's people, um, then it's not because of their, their piety or their, their uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's about a relationship that God chose them. Um, and, uh, and it's about that. Uh, and in a lot of cases, they are not, not so pious at all, as we know from the Old Testament. You assessed all the major views in the history of interpretation and performed your own exegetical analysis. Tell us now about your own conclusions. Who are these sons of God? Um, well, when, when we have a look at the at the ancient Near Eastern material um, and literature, then then uh, it turns out that uh, similar terms are used uh, to refer to or divine beings or deities. Um, and when we, we have a look at all the Old Testament uh, material in which the, the, this term is used, so sons of God, um, then uh, in all cases, uh, uh, reference to divine beings uh, or deities uh, or heavenly beings uh, fits the context. Um, and it's maybe the most clear, okay, this is Aramaic and not, not Hebrew, but when we have a look at, uh, at Daniel uh, 3.25, um, then you have the story of the the, um, the friends of da Daniel who are, are thrown into the fire, and um, and they they are alive there, and, and the, the king sees uh, another um, person walking in the fire, and and he says, and his look is like a, uh, like a, a son of the gods, um, and then later on, it, it, this is is this same word is explained as uh, as. Uh, God sent his angel, um, but that means that the, the, the expression son of God or sons of God um, is a more is a broader term. So it's not so specific for um, specifically for for used for for angels uh, as God's uh, messengers or um, well, even the term uh, angels or at least in Hebrew and Greek is used for human messengers as, as well. But anyhow, um, these, these, um, the, the term sons, sons of God or son of God um, in, in Daniel 3 is, um, uh, is, is a broader term. So meaning that, um, that uh, uh, it is, it's more unspecified. Uh, a heavenly figure is, is walking there, a heavenly being is there or a divine being some someone who is belonging to to another dimension or or to the to the to the realm of heaven uh, and not to the realm of earth um so it's it's a little bit broader um than than angels so that that is what i think we, we how we should read uh, read this text this text in in genesis uh, 6 as well um of course you get a lot of of um especially theological problems, I think, um, when reading it this way. Um, and you can ask questions about what, what uh, does it mean when we say that, um, well, the, the, the Old Testament is still, um, uh, or the Old Testament is, of course, um, uh, 
always referring to God in, in a very monotheistic way. Um, so how can this be, be possible? But anyhow, um, that's that's our problem that we, we may have to solve or maybe we, we cannot solve. But anyhow, I think we should accept the text uh, uh, as it is uh, and try to, to find uh, at least um, on the base on the on the based on the text the, the best explanation for it so yeah how would your view regarding the divine beings relate to the rest of the story the daughters of men and the giants with the nephilim that were born to them well um uh i i use the metaphor in in my book um uh of um of ancient cartographers um, meaning that if you have a look at ancient maps of the world, that uh, the closer you are to your to their own, so the cartographer uh, made uh, uh, draw a map, um, and the closer it is to his own environment, the the more uh, precise the map is, and the further away from his own um, from his own place. Um, of course, it's different now because we have Google Earth and whatever we have uh, satellites and 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 can make very precise maps. But for them, it was a uh, quite a job. And um, the further they they were away from home, the the, the more uh, in in precise or insecure uh, uh, the map uh, did become. Um, and this is uh, also something with when we I think when we read uh, read the first chapters of of, uh, of Genesis. Um, that, that this is a story that I think by Israelites, uh, they, they probably wouldn't have seen it as, as a kind of what we would call myth. Um, so as a, as, a, as a fancy story about strange things, but that they, I think they, they will have taken it, they, they would have taken it seriously, but still they wouldn't have seen it, seen it or considered it uh, to have the same um, uh, literary, literary um, uh, value as, let's say, uh, a passage from the Book of Kings, um, which is far more a kind of chronicle. Um, so, so we go far back in in history, and there is probably also some archetypical side to to these texts um, that we we uh, might or we should take into account. Um, and well, if we we uh, look at from in in that way, um, then then I think we could say that. Um, if you if you read the, the beginning of Genesis, the the, um, the story about the about paradise and the, uh, well, what is classically called the the fall um, uh, of of humanity, um, then this this uh, resulted in two two problems, uh, namely first the the problem that people became uh, alienated from God um, and uh, from each other. Um, so humanity became fractured, and in in the eleventh chapter of Genesis, when we have the the story of the Tower of Babel, um, it seems that humanity is, is uh, looking for a solution for the for the problem of fracturing, um, and uh, they want to stay together uh, and build for themselves uh, a real name uh, and power, and uh, and. So that's that is the the one side of of uh, one side of the problem that that's that is caused by what happened in in this written in Genesis three, um, and Genesis six pr probably um, uh, does does this is in a similar way, but then uh, referring to to um, the other side the alienation from God, and um, here 
a human solution is found for people connecting to the heavenly realm. Um, probably also um, they they have in view that that uh, maybe immortality can be can be reached for them, or anyhow they they find some some heavenly power. Um, you have these these giants uh, uh, that are born. Um, so um, both uh, Genesis uh, chapter eleven and six uh, may be uh, stories narratives about human solutions for the problem that that's uh, that's existed since uh, since uh, what happened uh, as it was written in Genesis three, and then we read on uh, and we get the story of Abraham. Uh, and then God says that, okay, I will give a solution for this problem uh, and I will make, I will bless him. And uh, so the connection to God is restored and uh, he will be a blessing for, for all the peoples of the world. And so the, the, the problem of humanity and the fracturing uh, of humanity is, is restored or will be restored anyhow. Um, that's the perspective that, that Genesis 12, um, uh, when it's about the, the vocation of Abraham, um, that, that this, this perspective is, is given. Um, and interestingly, in, in, uh, in all of these stories, so in Genesis 12, and it's about Abraham, but also in, in Genesis 6 and in 11, um, one of the keywords is, is the word name in Hebrew. So we will make a name uh, for ourselves uh, by building this tower and city. Um, we will, uh, the, 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 the giants, the giants, they were the, the men of renown, but the word, the word name is used, they, they, have had a, they were famous. Um, uh, is used in Genesis 6 and then in uh, uh, Genesis 12 when it's about Abraham uh, that God says yeah that I will uh, give you a, a, a name uh, in the world. So um, I try to, to see or to connect uh, these, these narratives to each other. Um, of course this is, this is uh, mainly a, a literary uh, approach um, so um, or a narrative approach, um, but but I think, well, uh, there is some base for it. Before saying goodbye, Yap, can you tell us about any new projects you're working on? Any other work on Genesis 6? Uh, not especially in Genesis 6. I think it was, uh, it was enough for now. Um, although new literature, you can always find uh, new things uh, or have new ideas. So maybe if suddenly I wake up and I say that, well, it's a great idea, I will... Um, maybe I'll write an article about it. No, I'm I'm now especially busy with um, a project with uh, chaos and order in in the Old Testament and in the, in the ancient Near East. So that's one of my bigger projects now. Yep, it's been great speaking with you about your recent book, The Sons of God in Genesis six one through four. Thank you for being with us. You're welcome. All the best for you. All right, friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.